Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we continue to turn our focus to you, to hear your voice through your Holy Spirit, praying that you would minister to each one of us today, those watching online and those in this room. You would minister by your Spirit and speak in that still, small voice that gives life. As your scriptures are read and expounded upon today, may they be done under the anointing of your Holy Spirit, and may our minds be anointed and our hearts to hear. Lord Jesus, let the living and active Word of God have its way through your Spirit with us today, and I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're continuing to make our way through the Psalms, and uh, as I alluded to earlier, last Sunday we were in Psalm 51, and I tried to land on a couple of Psalms along the way. In one of them, I actually started making some notes and writing some things down, and uh, have you ever tried to walk through a door? It's not fun. Um, not open. Yeah, door that's shut. One night, my younger brother and I, when we were a lot younger, we shared a room. When our, our older brother was still at home, we shared a room. And one night I woke up to this noise. And I turned, went over and turned the light on. And my younger brother was over against the wall behind the door with his head against the wall walking. Or trying to walk. He couldn't go anywhere. Well, that's what I kind of run into with these two psalms I tried to, to land on, and it just became apparent that the Lord was not in it. But when I got to, I didn't want to go to 73 because that's one of my favorite psalms, and I'm thinking, you know, the Lord would never give me that. Yes, yeah, what he wanted me to do. So here we are, Psalm 73. I, I've spoken and alluded to this psalm many times over the years. I'm not sure I've ever just you taken it and, and used it as the text. Uh it's uh, it's one of those that uh, that's that's written by someone other than David Asaph. Uh, Asaph was a musician in David's band. He was a part of his entourage. Uh, the scripture teaches us that he played the cymbals, and I immediately thought of Ricky Barney Five. Ricky, Ricky said I was going to work opium some way. Well, not quite, but. Barney Five playing the cymbals, but he played the cymbals in the band of, uh, and it wasn't the cymbals like we think of, but anyway, he, he was a musician. He, he wrote 12 of the Psalms, Psalm 50, and then Psalms 73 through 83. He's the author of these Psalms. In this one, he describes for us the depressing state that he has allowed himself to sink into. He's allowed his mindset to arrive at a place and to see a certain way. And he just, he's describing it for us. Aren't you glad the writers of the Bible were transparent? I mean, he could have said, well, I don't want to tell them about that. I'm embarrassed. The word until is the pivotal point in this psalm, and we'll get to it in a little while. Because right after until appears in the text... We see the words, then I understood, until. So, Psalm 73, 
Uh, we're going to read all 28 verses, so if you can't stand that long, that's fine with me. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curve this morning. Those of you who have phones and tablets, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. And uh, uh, if not, it's, it's close to the ESV and some of the others. If you would stand, and I'm going to read this from the Christian Standard Bible. God indeed is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. Here, Some of your Bibles will say the boastful. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing waters. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until, everybody say until, until. I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood. I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You you make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they became or become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was a fool and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me up in glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good I have made the Lord my refuge so I can tell about all that you do. You can be seated. Some of your Bibles there would have said, tell of all his works. Asaph is writing this psalm from the perspective of, of, he says, truly God is good, starts out. Or God is good to all of Israel until those are pure at heart. Truly, God is good. He's writing after the fact of his experience. So he can say, regardless of what I went through, now I know God is good. And he's always good. Having gone through the experiences I went through, I can still say, truly, God is good. Regardless of the circumstances that you and I find ourselves in today, tomorrow or sometime in the future, this truth remains. God is good. 
His goodness doesn't always appear the way we want it to appear. His goodness doesn't doesn't always fit our definition. His goodness doesn't always match our expectations. But God is good at the end of the day. And Asaph, in his experience, understands this. Because he began to look around him, and I've I've titled this uh, Through Eyes of Obscured Vision. Through eyes of obscured vision. I want to tell you something you already know, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Things are not always as they seem to appear. Now, I already had this message prepared, but I, I was running around the kitchen this morning getting things together and and uh, always have music playing. Most of the time I have Enlightened playing from Sirius XM in, in his music. And, and all of a sudden I heard a familiar strum. And I heard Cheryl, raise your hand, Cheryl. Cheryl began to sing, tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Have you ever felt like that? Well, then Ricky began to sing. When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and drear. Watch watch this line. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. And I thought to myself, that's that's Asaph. As a matter of fact, the writer, there's some debate about who wrote the, the hymn farther along may have been thinking about Psalm 73, but that's Asaph's world. He's looking around at all the people around him and all the wicked people and all the things happening in their life, and he's wondering, what in the world is this all about? He said, as for me, I almost stumbled, I almost slipped, I almost fell down. By the way, I shared with somebody last week, I don't remember, sometime, Proverbs teaches us that, Righteous man falls down and gets back up. Self falls down seven times, gets back up. The issue is not whether you fall down. The issue is whether or not you get back up. He said, I just about slipped. I, I was really losing my faith. I was really questioning all the things that were going on. I, I was envious. I was envious, he says, of the arrogant, of the boastful. And he said, I was... I saw them in their prosperity. It's interesting that the word there in the Hebrew for prosperity is the word shalom. Which is not prosperity in the sense of finances, although God blesses us, but it's wellness, it's completeness, it's wholeness, it's soundness. It is peace, but it's a lot more than just peace as we understand it. He said, I was looking at the shalom of the wicked. Then he, then he, he observes, he said, they got an easy time. They, they got it easy. They got it made. Have you everybody, has anybody ever told you, you got it made in the shade? And, and that's exactly what you say. Yeah, right. You need, you need to come walk in my shoes longer than a mile. Walk, walk around, follow me around. I say that to people when they tell me I only work an hour and a half a week. 
half joking, half serious. You don't ever do anything but hour and a half on Sunday morning. So I say to them, well, why don't you come? Won't you stand right there and then just follow me for a week? We'll, then we'll have that discussion. But he's looking through obscured vision. He's looking, in, in some cases, I think he's seeing something that's not there. Because how many of you realize that behind a front door of a home, there are often things going on behind that door that no one ever knows about? Man, that's a great family over there. Man, they got their act together. Man, that's a good group of people. Great dad, great mom. Oops. All of a sudden, you find out what is really going on behind that door. Because we have obscured vision. Well, this is Asaph. He said that they're not afflicted like most people. Now, where did he get his facts? From his vision. Now, he is talking about people. I mean, hey, come on. We watch. Well, I don't watch anything as far as news. But we read the news. We read the social media. We watch what people are doing. We watch what people are saying in the public eye. And every one of us that has any sense at all is shaking our head thinking, what in the round world is happening? Can, can people be so stupid as to say these things and to believe these things? And, and it doesn't matter which side of the political aisle that you're on. You, you're still looking at people thinking, I don't get it. And sometimes I say to people, I'm glad you don't get it. They're not afflicted like most people. What do we see? What do we see that is not real? What do we assume when we look around at the world, at what we would qualify as the wicked? What do we see that is not real? He said, these people set their mouths against heaven. You don't have to watch much news you don't have to do watch much anything read much of anything and you read people who have set their mouths against heaven and against god sometimes personally and you want to say i don't want to be sitting next to those people set their mouths against heaven verse 15 says he said i have decided to say these things, I've decided, if I had decided to say things loud, I'd betrayed your people. He said, it seemed hopeless. It just seemed hopeless to me. He said, the wicked say, how does God know? And here's what I want to submit to us today. Quite too often, we ask that question. How does God know? How does God know? Now, I know theologically you would never Say, how does God know? You know better. But in our experience, sometimes we ask, how's God know? And they even go further. If I could find it. How does God know? Does the Most High know everything? Part of this series we've been doing on Tuesday nights, some of the people on that screen do not believe God knows everything. Do not believe God, you know, you know, there's the matter of open theism that teaches that God doesn't know anything until we've done it. it. You know, 
So now we've put oops, and I'm surprised, in God's vocabulary. Of course, they're not there. It seemed hopeless. They ask, but we also ask. And then he says, what you've said, what I've said, or thought to ourselves, he said, did I purify my heart for nothing? Did I, did I cleanse my way in vain? Did I, did I try to walk a circumspect path and follow God's lifestyle and ways in vain? Because these people over here, they're not doing any of that and they're prospering and they don't have any problems. Nothing ever befalls them. They're, they're never afflicted. These people are doing all of that. They're turning their mouths against heaven. Nothing ever happens to them. And I'm over here trying my best to live a godly life. And yet there they are. I'm I'm pointing. I'm not talking about y'all over there. (laughs) Diane, Charlie, and Chris. I'm not pointing at them. Now, every one of us in this room and those listening online can relate to that. Whether you admit it or not. You would never vocalize it, maybe, but internally, every one of us have said, what, what's going on? Or, well, God must be mad at me. Well, if God's mad at me, what's up with those folks? Asaph. This is Asaph's vision that we're seeing. And too many of us, or maybe all of us, can relate to that vision. And then he said a smart thing. He said, I decided to keep my mouth shut. If I'd have said what I wanted to say, and boy, how many times have I said that? If I would have said what I wanted to say, I learned a long time ago that words that I have spoken do not taste good going back down. They don't digest well. So he says, I'm, I'm seeing all of this. I'm not, I'm, I'm just really questioning what's going on with God. My feet almost stumbled. I almost slipped. I almost slipped in my faith and I was ready. I just don't understand it. He said, until I like that until part. And that's where this psalm pivots on that word until he said, until I entered the sanctuary, or until I went in to the sanctuary. Now we all know that the sanctuary is where's God, where God's presence is. Now I, I try to refrain from calling this room a sanctuary. It's an auditorium. Because calling this a sanctuary sort of subconsciously indicates that God lives here. God doesn't live here. Doesn't live in this room. He lives in you. You're, you're the, you're the temple of Christ. Your bodies are the temple of Christ. So this is not, I mean, this is, this is a special room in the sense that it belongs to God. It's been dedicated to God. It's, it's in that sense, but there's nothing holy about this room. That the sanctuary is where God's presence is. If we want to have proper vision and we want to avoid the obscured vision that Asaph indicates, then we must find a way to get into that place of sanctuary, that place of God's presence, 
where we begin to see things the way God sees things. And I want to tell you today that that is an intentional act. does not come by accident. It comes from a knowing that we should access God's point of view. We need that. You see, because once he gets past the until, and we'll get to that in a moment, he begins to see things differently. Nothing's changed, but he begins to see things from a different vantage point, and that is God's vantage point. Now, I want to tell you that one, you know, how do you do that? How do you get into God's presence? Intentional. Bible says Hezekiah took the letter that he'd received from Sennacherib from the hand of the messengers, read it, then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Now, of course, in that in that day, under that covenant, he did need to go into a particular place, into a particular room for God's presence. And he went into that place and he spread that letter out in God's presence. Then the next verse says, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. That's intentional. He, he was intentional about it. He got this letter threatening him and threatening those following him. So he went into God's presence and laid it out before God. God, do you see this? That's basically what he was doing. God, do you see this? Do you see what this is? Like God didn't see it. But he, you know, that's what you do. And he prayed. Certainly, one of the ways we can find ourselves in a place of God's presence, in a place where we begin to see through God's eyes, certainly one of the ways is a gathering such as this, where we gather together, we join our voices, we join our hearts, we join our acts of worship together and we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us collectively. That is certainly one of the ways. And I, I will never belittle that. I mean, I'm here most Sunday mornings. As I told you a few weeks ago, I can't be here every Sunday. But I'm here most Sunday mornings, and so I can't belittle that. And it's certainly a time that you can come into this place and leave all the distractions outside. And focus on him. But I want to tell you today that, boy, please don't limit your entering intentionally finding a place in God's presence. Don't, please don't limit it to this. Scripture says if two or three are gathered in my name, I, Jesus said, I, red ink, I will be there as well. And that's a promise, or as Bob Mumford likes to say, it's a promise or a threat. Take it however you want it. If two or three are gathered, I will be in their midst. So you don't need a gathering of this size or larger. You, two or three is fine. And the truth is, you can, you can find a place in God's presence all by yourself. As a matter of fact, that's one of the best ways. And that is... Find a place where you can be alone. Find a place where you can open up the scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. And, and listen, listen to this. 
Don't underestimate the power of music. Don't miss that. David played the harp and the spirit left Saul alone. There's a key there. If you want to intentionally find a place and and create an atmosphere where you can be in God's presence and you can see through the lens of his presence, don't underestimate what music will do for you in that moment. How it will change. Sometimes you, you can just, as soon as you start playing the music, the atmosphere changes. You know, God made music. Y'all do know that, don't you? We didn't do that. He made that. How in the world can songwriters, thousands of years later, still be creating very good songs today? You think, well, I guess all the good songs must have been written. No, because they're still coming out of God. Now, I realize there are some songs that we hear on the radio today, even some Christian songs, that didn't really come from the throne of God. At least I don't think they did. But God is still sending out creative music that will help us find that place that Asaph found when he went into the sanctuary. And he said, I understood. What do you do in a sanctuary? What do you do when you gather with God's people? What do you do when you're in God's presence? We, we sang about it this morning. You praise the Lord. You praise God. You, you offer up sacrifices of praise. You live in a place that where you have an attitude of gratitude. You want to get out of that negative place that you're in. You want to get out of that funk that you're in. Begin to thank God for everything. We sang this morning, thank God that he saved you, that he washed you clean. Thank God. Just, but go down the list. Just begin to thank God for all that he's done for you. Everybody under the sound of my voice has a long list of things, places, and people for which we can be grateful to God. Don't stop thanking God until you find yourself in his presence. That's what will get you there. And it'll get you out of your funk. It'll get you out of your negative mindset. And it'll help you begin to see through God's eyes. You know why? Because gratitude removes the focus from us and places it on him. It removes our focus from our circumstances and it places it on the glory and the power of God. And as I said a few weeks ago, if you don't, if you don't have anything to praise God about, we got a problem. Either you've never met the Lord, or you got a bad memory, because He's done more for you than you can ever imagine. In your presence, Scripture says there's fullness of joy, God's presence. So He said, "My heart was grieved." Why was his heart grieved? Because he realized that he had been a, as again, we're going back to Andy Griffith show, he had been a goober. He said, I've been a fool. What? How did I get? I mean, he's in God's presence calling himself a fool. I don't know how you do that. But he's saying to us, that, he said, at that time, I didn't see all this. I didn't see what I see now. The solution that I see now I didn't see it then, but I see it now. What's the difference? Until God's presence. 
He, he said, I was too full of grief. I was too full of bitterness to think about this, this matter calmly. I was upset. And yet when I got into the sanctuary, then I understood. How you like that? Then, now some of your Bibles has then in italics, which means it wasn't in the original manuscript. That's okay. When I went in, until I went into the sanctuary, I understood. So it doesn't, you know, if you say then I understood or I understood, either way, you what? You understood. Thomas Cheney is an English Bible scholar from the 19th century. He said it this way that Asaph was telling us that he had a pang of passionate discontent that had pierced his inmost being until. Maybe you're living today with some pang of discontent. Maybe you're living today with a big old question mark on your face. I don't know, but I know where you can lose that. And he says, it's interesting, he says, I was a fool, I didn't understand, I was an unthinking animal, yet I am always with you. Why is he always with God? See, we think, well, he's always with God because he's holding on for dear life. He's always with God because, look at the next phrase, you, God, hold my right hand. It's not so much that you're holding on to God, although we do that, but it's so much that God's holding on to you. He's not going to let go. And so then he finishes up the psalm with what I call draw near to God. He says, as for me, God's presence is my good. The ESV says, for me, it is good to be near God. Let's, let's read that together. But for me, it is good to be near God. If God is not close, you can guess who moved. It's good to be near God. Now, obviously, we're not necessarily talking about uh, in proximity, ge- geography, but we're talking about being close to God, being near God. James 4.8 says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. We're not supposed to use that word, I know. Double-minded people. Draw near to God and he will. You say, well, wait a minute. Is this tit for tat? Is this, well, God says, I'm not making a move. Do you do? That's not what that is. What that is, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. God has never and will never push himself on you. He has never violated your will, and he still won't violate your will. And so when he says, draw near and I'll draw near, he's saying, when you draw near, you have now given me the invitation and allowed me to come into that place of your life and where I don't have to violate your will, cannot violate your will, and yet we're, to, we're close, draw near to God. Just before that, it says, submit yourselves to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee. And you've heard me say that we have too often only quoted half of that verse and, and, and quoting it incorrectly when we have left out the part about submit to God. We want to go bless God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Well, that's not what it says. There's, there's some sons of Sceva in the book of Acts that tried that one, and they got tore up. 
It, it doesn't start resist the devil. It starts with submit yourself to God. And once you've done that, then you can resist the devil and he'll flee. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You've given him that open door. Stand at the door and knock, Revelation. Giving him the open door. If we want to see the way Asaph saw after the until, it's God's presence. Let me see if I can explain this. I don't mean God's presence in the sense that a lot of times we're in meetings, something like this, and really God begins to move, and we really feel a tingle or whatever. I'm, I'm for that. But you don't have to have that to be in God's presence. I, I don't know how many times I've been sitting on this front row and we've had James Ryle, Charles Simpson, Ronald Gray, just go through the list speaking. And I don't have, and during their sermon, no music, no singing during their sermon, God would begin to say things to me. And I don't necessarily tell them this. Sometimes it has nothing to do with what they're saying. What is that about? It's about the presence of God. Because I believe, and I know there are people trying to stop us from preaching the word today, but I believe the preaching of God's word is just as much worship as singing of songs and giving of offerings. I don't want to cut out any of it, but I've had that happen. My mind, all of a sudden my mind's clear and I see things that I didn't see before because of God's presence. Where is your refuge? Where is your refuge? Where do you run to? Do you run to what's going on over there? What's wrong with these people on on TV? What's wrong with these people that are protesting? What's wrong with these people that are making these bold declarations that are anti-God and anti-church, anti-everything? What's wrong with these people? Or do you run into the name of the Lord, which the Bible tells us is a strong tower? You run into God's sanctuary, God's presence. And I just love the way it ends. He says, as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all that you do. At the end of the day, it's our being able to testify of God's good works, to share God's good works with everyone.